You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is On the Rocks. So, let me start with one of the On the Rocks ideas here. You know this, I wasn't raised drinking, I've never been drunk, I don't think about this. I did a little research and you can, and I'm sure we have authorities here that can probably step in and help me with this. You can either get a drink, scotch or something on the rocks, is this correct? Or you can get it, is the right word, neat? Why are you saying right? You don't know anything about this. (laughs) Whatever. So neat would be? No No ice. Okay, so let me throw a verse in here out of Ephesians chapter five. So don't go there, just listen. So in Ephesians it says, don't be drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So the Bible does not say don't be drunk. It just says don't get drunk on alcohol, but get drunk on the spirit. So you should be focusing, instead of getting kind of this Jesus on the rocks thing, and let me go there with you a minute. If you're gonna be a drinker, and I have a little bit of respect for these kind of drinkers. If you're gonna drink, when I see a man walk out of a liquor store with a bottle in a bag, I know he's committed, she's committed. And I like that tomato juice stuff, I'm sure someone can name it too, whatever it is, and so I have to go out of town to go in the liquor store and buy it. Just my luck, I go in a liquor store and they go, oh, I thought you didn't drink, what are you doing in here? So, what is that stuff, starts with a Z? Zing zang. Zing zang, why do you know all these things? This is making me very nervous. Whatever, don't say it, don't defend yourself, it'll just get worse. So it's probably one of the two times in my life I've been at a liquor store, went in, got some Zing Zang, and they literally had like a freezer cooler thing with glasses with ice already in them behind the deal. So like if you couldn't even wait to get to the car, you can open it up in here, pour it, and let's go. So you say, well, that's terrible. Who would want to drink that way? That's the kind of spiritual drinker you got to be. But too many Christians, it's just Jesus on the rocks. It's a little sip and see, little cocktail hour. See if we're going to be interested, if we meet anyone we like. Instead of some guy under a bridge with a bag, bottle in the bag, going for it, right? Hardcore, all the way in. So is there such a thing as a spiritual alcoholic? There should be where you are as desperate for him and have to have him as the alcoholic is for that alcohol. You can't live without it. Now that's what's working. So part of what we're gonna talk about today is whether you're a Jesus on the rocks kind of person. And some people go to churches this way. They go in and it's like a cocktail hour and say, well, let's listen to some music. And well, hi, how are you? And how was your week? And sip and see. And well, it was really not for me. And we're gonna go back to our life and do what we do. Instead of, you know what, this is the real deal. Get me a bottle, get me a bag. Let's go for this, okay? Acts 27, another on the rocks situation. So a little background here. 
Paul, terrible guy, just a terrible guy when he was Saul. Persecuted Christians was a nightmare to the early church and then had an encounter with Christ, becomes a Christian and everything turns around. Now, instead of trying to get Christians killed, the same people he was getting support from to chase Christians, now they want him killed. And they're literally setting up ambushes and people saying, you know, we're not gonna do anything till we kill Paul. So he's a Roman citizen, he knows he's in trouble, he gets warned of all this going on, so he appeals to Caesar, which is a right of a Roman citizen to say, I appeal to Caesar. So now the logistics are, they have to transport him from wherever he is to Rome to go literally before Caesar and settle the dispute. So now there's guards, there's soldiers, because there's a lot of people after him, so they have to protect him. Nothing can happen to them in their care, getting him to Caesar. So part of this journey, and I used to not get these journeys at all, like why are we reading about Paul's missionary journeys and his ship sailings and where he went? Because where you end up, you say, well, I just ended up here. You never just end up anywhere. Now, you may have contributed to the situation you're in and said, well, I did all these stupid things and that's why I'm here. But God even factors all that in and has people where you end up. And if you change, he can use you where you end up. So Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When he had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. So you've got these soldiers, they're transporting Paul, you got other prisoners that get on these ships and everybody's being moved. And now the weather becomes a factor if you keep reading this. So they get into a certain port and things are not great. Go down to verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Now, Paul has told them, if you jump back up to verse nine, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Don't take this trip. He's a prisoner who's gonna listen to him, but he was right. The centurion said whatever, and they took off. So they start sailing, verse 14, but not long after a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. So the skiff is the boat you pull behind. So if something goes wrong with the ship, you get in the skiff, kind of a lifeboat. They get it on the boat. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should be run aground on the Sardis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. We're all gonna die. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, 
Now, he references this and all the things he went through, shipwreck. So this is one of the things that Paul went through is a shipwreck. And you say, well, how does anybody have clarity of mind in the middle of a storm? If you walk with God and you trust God, no matter what is going on around you, you can still hear his voice and he can still tell you what to do in that situation. You have got to pay attention even in the storms. You cannot panic. You say, well, I'm afraid. Okay, I get you're afraid. Snap out of it. He's God. And if you're a believer, he lives inside of your body. And if he can't take care of you, you cannot be taken care of. And you're certainly not going to take better care of yourself than he can take care of you living inside of you. So you say, well, I'm all freaked out. Then stop and pray and say, God, I don't need to be freaked out anymore. What am I doing? So yes, there's a storm. Yes, it looks like we're all going to die. If I die, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, okay, what's next? So he gets them all together and he said, men, you should have listened to me. I don't recommend this tact with women, but with a whole boatload of men, it's okay. Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. So I'm telling you, no one's gonna die. We're gonna lose the ship though. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. We are gonna run aground, we're gonna lose the ship, but you're not gonna die. That's leadership. That is someone who can hear God, God knows he can trust him. In this case, an angel shows up, and I have this question, maybe if you're having this question, well, sure, I'd trust God if an angel showed up and told me all that. You got a whole Bible full of promises. So if you're not gonna do the stuff written down, what good's an angel showing up gonna do? You'd get all scared at that. So how much of this have you got to see and have access to and read to go, okay, this is truth. He's going to take care of me. It's going to be okay. Even when you feel like your life is what? On the rocks. Keep reading. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again, found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. So now they're dropping all the anchors, you drop anchors to kind of drag or pull the boat, slow it down, and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Do not let them get in that skiff and try to escape by themselves or we're not going to make it. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day and you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So this is a mob on this ship who were all gonna die unless they paid attention and trusted what Paul was saying. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So everything goes overboard. When it was day, 
They did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on board, some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. Now you say, well, what in the world? Why read the story? What's this all about? Who cares about these stories? There are times when you are literally on the rock, shipwrecked, everything's going wrong, you think, God, what are you up to? Sometimes that is how he gets you where he needs you, not where you wanna be, but where he needs you to be. And they end up on an island, we'll see here in chapter 28, they end up on an island with people that unless all these circumstances had happened, that ship, that time of year, every little detail had to come together, then Paul does not end up in this place, at this time, for these purposes. At some point, you have to stop complaining and trust God. So how many of you are sitting next to somebody you're married to? Raise your hand. So how does the enemy work on us? As a man, I, for whatever reason, I think marriage is harder on women. I just can't imagine, I feel bad for women. Like, oh my gosh, what were you thinking marrying a man, right? So the enemy tells you all this stuff. He's not gonna lead. He's an idiot, he's a failure, you picked wrong, you should have dated, you know, should have married that other guy you met back, in, you know, you got the wrong one, this is not right, it's never gonna work out, it's not gonna be okay. So he gets you focused on this person you married and it can go either way. So you look at your circumstances and you go, this is a mess, how did I end up in this mess? And God says, look, just give me your mess. Stop complaining, stop whining, stop looking at all the flesh and blood situations and look to me. I've got the answer, I am the answer. If you will just give me what you got, where you are, repent, take responsibility for your piece of it, then I can intervene and bring some good from it. But you will never see the good if you're focused on the bad and you're just gonna complain till you die. So look at Acts chapter 28. Now when they had escaped, then they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Great, I didn't die in a shipwreck, I'm gonna die of a snake bite. Now what in the, how could God possibly be in a snake bite? It's just getting worse. Don't complain. You say, well, how am I gonna thank God for a snake bite? I'll show you. Came out, fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. He's gonna die, he deserves to die. This guy's a murderer, or this wouldn't be happening to him. He's escaped the sea and a snake got him, justice. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Well, now we got another problem. Why didn't he die? We all die of this. He's not swelling, he didn't drop dead, nothing's happening to this guy, so he's not a murderer, he's a god. 
Sometimes God uses the calamity, the disaster of your life and your response to it and how you handle it and what does or does not happen to you to communicate to the world that you are not just somebody walking around living a life. That you actually have God living in you and certain things that should just, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? You're calm, you've got peace, you trust him and they see that and go, okay, this is not possible. How do you trust God? You say, well, my life's on the rocks. Maybe God's in that. You say, well, it's all my fault. Maybe God can still be in that. So are you willing to give your situation, your shipwreck, your mess, your problem, your whatever to God and say, okay, I trust you anyway. I can't get out of this. I don't know how to fix it, but I got nowhere else to go but you. That's one scenario. Or what if you were trusting God completely? Paul is not a sinner out there living a screwed up life. He is obeying God, doing everything possible to follow God's will and look where it gets him. Shipwreck, bitten by a snake. You're like, what did he do wrong? He did nothing wrong, he obeyed. And if you end up shipwrecked for obeying, it would be better to end up shipwrecked for obeying on the rocks, having problems and back home safe where you don't belong. So look at the story how it continues. Verse seven, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So you say, well, I don't like my life. I don't like where God's put me, where he's taking me, what's going on, I don't like it. Stop complaining and say, okay, Lord, why am I here? What are you doing, what are you up to? And it may be that an island who would never have had a Paul show up because of all his inconvenience, all the shipwreck, all these problems on the rocks, hitting that island, bam, that whole island is changed and the gospel gets preached to them. You say, well, I don't like it. You don't get to pick. We are bought with a price. I am a slave, I am owned. I go where he tells me to go. You have no idea what you could be missing because you're not where God wants you to be all the time. You say, well, I want my life to be easy. I want it to be convenient. I don't want to have to go there. I don't want to get up at 3.45 in the morning to get back for church or whatever your little excuse is. God is at work on the planet in ways you cannot imagine. But if you trust him and you follow him, you don't have to imagine you'll be there when it happens. I don't want problems. I don't want to get involved. I just want to make money, live in my little house, hit my garage door opener, pull in my garage, let it close quick, and then I don't have to deal with anybody. You're just a prisoner in your house waiting for Jesus to come. And then what are you going to say to him? Uh, I don't know. I didn't think about that. First Timothy chapter one. I'll do a couple more and we're done. Now, this is Paul writing to this Young guy, Timothy, let's do verse 12. And he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Now look at how it shifts. Complimenting, talking about Timothy and his life, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So let me ask you a question here or beyond this room. Concerning the faith, have you suffered shipwreck? On the rocks, done. Choice you made, life you live, and you think it's over. Now if I just in this room, I know almost everybody in this room and too much about them. But if I went through this room and said, how many of you have survived a shipwreck You know what? Stand up if you survived a shipwreck. That right there, and if you're not in the room, you don't know, but over half the room got up. That right there is my Jesus. And that's your Jesus. And that's what he can do. And see, when you've survived the shipwreck, you don't mind taking a stand. Because there are other people in this room who've just hit the rocks, and they don't know it's going to be okay. They got no hope, it's over, it's over. Their marriage they think is over, it may be. Their kid is in trouble, they don't know what to do about it. And when you stand physically, and when you speak personally to your situation and why you have hope, then people say, wait a minute, that's just not some preacher, that's a bunch of people like me. And if God can do it for them, maybe he can do it for me. And then you get a chance to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And that's what it's all about. One more is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I suggest that you go from being on the rocks to being on the rock. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. 
You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. I grew up with a song that we may not even know anymore, I sing much. And this is a big part of my childhood. And these are the lyrics. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.